Well, first, I want to congratulate all of you who remembered to set your clocks forward an hour and get here on time. That's quite an accomplishment. Um, last night when I started setting my clocks, I set them back an hour. I guess that was wishful thinking, and uh, eventually we did get them set at the right time. So uh, welcome to all of you who uh, paid attention. We'll see who didn't pay attention in about an hour as they start wandering in and what's going on. If you have uh, your packets for the Children's Peace Pavilion, uh, Chelsea won't be here today, so June will be the one to collect them. So if you have those completed, uh, give those to June. Um, also, speaking of children, there are children's bulletins and coloring pages out on the table in the foyer. And uh, certainly help yourself with those, and there's usually uh, crayons there. And so the, uh, take, take care of those and if you want to use those. I think those are our two most important announcements that are brought to my attention. So I'd like to move on to our birthdays. Uh, Beckett Stoll, not here. Nathan Hansen, not here. He's Tuesday. Jackie Gill, not here. We're not doing too well. But Brian Talcott will be 40 this Saturday. Can you believe it, 40? So congratulations. Let's have, how about a round of... Uh, Denise, you made it. Yes. He said he's putting $40 in, too. Uh, Denise is going to offer our prayer. Will you bow with me, please? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for these wonderful people that are here with us on their special day. We ask that your spirit be with them on their wonderful birthday and the next year to come. Amen.
Good morning. I welcome you here today and also applaud you and thank you for making the commitment to be here with the time change as well. Our theme for today is be open to God's kingdom. And as I prepared for the different elements of this service, the part that kept coming back to me was this part of the call to be open. And the call, as I thought about more, was not to simply acknowledge that God's kingdom was there or its presence and to think that I'm over here and everything looks good with God's kingdom over there. But the call was really to be open. And by that, I believe that the call is for us to be vulnerable to where God is leading us. Recognize that we, recognizing that we each have this call is the first step. And the second step, which is, of course, the more difficult one, is to actually allow God's presence into our lives and to follow his direction. Being open and being vulnerable is something that is difficult for me and may be difficult for you as well. I think this is driven by the type of person that you are. My mom, for example, is one of the most outgoing people I know. She's willing and anxious to try new things, whether that's something as simple as a new recipe that is really outside the realm of their normal diet, or searching for an adventure that is off the beaten path. Contrast that with me, who's more comfortable as a behind-the-scenes type of guy, which is where I feel more comfortable. No matter what type of person you are, God calls us to unique challenges where he needs a person with your exact skills. Just as Leslie described for us last week, she was in a new place by standing up here. She had taken that second step and was pushing aside the risk to try something new. She did not let fear get in her way. Taking the second step and allowing God to lead us can be difficult in our society. Being open puts us at risk of failure. It puts us at risk of getting insulted or being made fun of. And it puts us at risk of being taken advantage of. All those are very difficult hurdles that cause us to have fears and limit our ability to move forward with who God calls us to be. The good news is that God is calling to us, and he's calling to each of us this morning. As the old Sunday school song says, Jesus is knocking on our door. He is knocking and waiting. We just need to open the door to our hearts and let him in. I invite you to take full advantage of our time here together. You made this effort to join here with your friends and family. And in a week that has been filled for many of us with some stress, heartache, and fear, allow yourself to be immersed in these surroundings today. Put aside those things that would draw your attention away and allow your spirit to be here and to listen. Now, today is also our second Sunday of Lent. I'm going to read a piece from 2 Nephi. It says, Lent is about divine grace. It is a period of time to reflect on our discipleship and prepare for Easter. It is based on the example of Christ's 40 days in the desert, preparing for ministry. Lent is a time to honestly examine who we are, recognize who we are called to become, and receive divine grace for the journey in between. Lent is an invitation to fast or replace a behavior with a time connecting with God. We also have our Lenten candles down here, and I've lit the second one. And last week's candle reminded us to be honest with ourselves and others. This week's candle represents humility. As disciples, we humbly look to Christ's example, yet we are imperfect and often fall short of who Christ asks us to become. We practice humility when we accept our shortcomings without judgment or defense and look to God for help and guidance. Honestly admitting our mistakes is confession, and sincerely desiring to change for better is repentance. Honesty and humility are needed for confession and repentance. And today we confess and repent. 
Would you please join me in the reading in your bulletin? My soul grieves because of my sin. I am surrounded by the temptations and sins which so easily influence me. When I desire to rejoice, my heart groans because of my sins. Nevertheless, I know in whom I have trust. So we join in hymn 276, all are welcome.
Will you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for gathering us all here today. Let us open our hearts and minds to your message and be with people that are helping out with the service. Be with those that come here with heavy hearts and let them feel your presence. Please help us as we leave here today and open to God's kingdom and take the message of to be disciples of Christ. Amen. Good morning. I am sure, actually I heard from several, uh, that a portion of this congregation today looked into the bulletin and they saw spiritual practice listed and thoughts went something like this. Spiritual practices are just not my thing. You know, I prefer a traditional worship service anytime. I guess I could make my grocery list while they're doing that because it just is not my thing. It's as if spiritual practices either engage you or they don't. They either work for you or they don't. The light switch is either on or off. It's either all or nothing. So for just a minute, I want to focus your attention on the second word of that worship element, spiritual practice. Think about your life. What activity provides you with a sense of accomplishment, familiarity, relaxation when you engage in it? Think about it. What's your go-to when you want to find relaxation, when you want to find comfort? What do you do? What's your activity of choice? For some, it may be golfing. Maybe it's sitting down to play a musical instrument. Maybe it's speaking to someone in a second or third language. Maybe it's quilting. Choose your own for just a second. Now remember, how much practice did it take for you to, be, to, for you to eventually be good at it and for you to love it and love doing it. How many times did that five-foot putt get practiced before you could consistently sink it? How many times does a musical phrase get practiced before muscle memory kicks in and now you can play the whole entire piece? How many times did those verbs get conjugated before you were able to communicate with someone in a second or third language? How many times did your grandmother or your mother or a friend show you a sewing stitch so that you are now comfortable using it all on your own? So how many free throws do you think KU tall man Azabuke has shot in his life? Did you know throughout his college career, he's only made 41.8% of them? So what if it was all or nothing for him? You know, I'm not very good at free throws, so I'm just going to give up basketball. We call it practice for a reason. 
things we do repeatedly, we can eventually feel familiar and feel like it's a friend who brings us comfort and joy. I don't know about you, but this past week has been a pretty rough week for me and for, I think, many of us. Every day this week, I looked for comfort while longing to share comfort with loved ones who are struggling with the loss of life, with new life journeys, with new life circumstances, or as I dwelled in the horrific headline news and realities of our world. What if engaging in a spiritual practice every day allowed you to feel connected to God, made that connection feel familiar and empowered your ministry as a disciple, would the practice be worth it? I invite each of you just now to try a spiritual practice called holding in the light of God. For some, this will be a familiar old friend. For others, it will feel new and strange. But remember, all practice begins that way. Don't give up. This candle that you were given is yours. It now belongs to you. Take it home. And if you're like my granddaughters, you're going to quickly cover it in rainbow hues and sparkles. Just now, this candle represents the light of God's spirit. Light your candle. Now sit quietly, breathe deeply and calmly. Be aware of God's presence and the light of God's spirit that is in us and with us all the time. Feel or sense God's healing light. Pay attention to the energy and love of God's spirit that is moving through us and in this room. Now, let your attention be drawn to a particular person or people or a specific life event or circumstance.
feel the wounds in your person or people. Now open your heart to God's love for that person or those people. Trust that words are not necessary because God already knows the need. Let God's light embrace you and fill you as you hold them in silent prayer, without words or without agenda. Trust God's light to surround each, to bring comfort and hope. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Melt me. thank you for using us as instruments of your peace. We recognize that we are all partial images that slowly come into focus when we allow and filter your love and light, which longs to shine through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Please pray with me. Eternal God, God of peace, 
God of healing. We come together and raise our voices in unison, praising you, worshiping you, and thanking you. For without you in our hearts and minds, there would be no peace. You have promised through the ages, and while we know the truths of all these promises in our hearts, sometimes our minds fight against it. In our humanness, we struggle at times and lose your abiding peace. You understand because you love us for all that we are, not for what we do and think, and you wait patiently for us to reach out to feel your healing touch. There are times when our lives seem to spin out of control and we let go of your peace. Loss of job, loss of marriage, loss of all stability due to addictions, loss of economic stability. These are life-changing, serious concerns that separate us from you and bring us to our knees. May we allow ourselves in our brokenness to find you there in petition and prayer and rise to our feet in joy and praise with newly discovered resolve and power to take control of these situations. When we suffer the loss of a loved one, there is physical pain in our hearts as we adjust to the emptiness. We ask why. In some situations, we ponder the what-ifs and we grapple with the new normal. Please fill that hole in our hearts with your peace. When there are significant health concerns, there can be fear and worry that take over. We are awake in the night, feeling so alone in the dark, searching for your peace. It's there, wanting to comfort us, to assure us. Light our way through this darkness. Let us trust in your healing power. Let us trust in your grace. Let us trust in you. May we feel your spirit in our hearts and minds as we truly acknowledge you are the Lord of peace and healing. In your most holy name we pray. Amen.
I seem to be standing in a busy queue by the side of a long, mean street. Evening was just closing in, and it was raining. I had been wandering for hours in similar mean streets, always in the rain and always in evening twilight. Time seemed to have paused on that dismal moment when only a few shops have lit up and it is not yet dark enough for the windows to look cheering. And just as the evening never advanced to night, so my walking had never brought me to the better parts of town. However far I went, I found only dingy lodging houses, small tobacconists, hoardings from which posters hung in rags, windowless warehouses, goods stations without trains, and bookshops of the sorts that sell the works of Aristotle. I never met anyone. But for the little crowd at the bus stop, the whole town seemed to be empty. I think that is why I attached myself to the queue. These are the opening lines of C.S. Lewis's The Great Divorce, and our narrator does not know it yet. But he has wound up on this very strange night, waiting in line at a bus stop in hell. We'll get back to our unfortunate narrator in a moment, but we should first turn our attention to today's scripture from the third chapter of John. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are the teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. The scripture goes on through one of the most important discussions in the Bible and concludes with the most concise description of Christianity in John 3.16 and 17. But I'm going to stop at John 3.3 because it reveals a very important fact about the nature of our reality. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Today we're going to talk about perception, about how we see First, we need to uh, test about how good your perception is. We're going to play a game. I'm going to play a video for you. All you have to do is follow the instructions. Now, there's going to be a lot going on. You're going to have to pay particular attention to the task at hand. All right? Is everybody ready? All right. Let's see. Hopefully, this technical stuff works. Count how many times the players wearing white pass the ball. So, who got the answer? How many? 16? 14? 15? 16? Oh, 16. Hmm, okay. Well, the correct answer is 16. But that's not the point of this exercise. R raise your hand if you have seen this if you've never seen this demonstration before. Never? Okay. All right. For those of you with your hands raised, how many people saw the gorilla? All right, so <laughs> I promise you that there's a gorilla. Okay, go ahead.
here he comes. There he is. All right. I mean, he's not hiding the game here, right? Okay. So normally, about half of the people who watch this video miss the gorilla. And we'll discuss why in just a second. But if you've seen this demonstration before, raise your hand. Right? Just, oh, just very, very, yeah, you, you saw that. Okay. So I assume that all of you saw the gorilla. But if, who here saw that the curtain changed color? And who here saw that one of the black team members walked off the screen? Yep. So, go ahead. Usually there's a lot more people that have seen this before. Let's so. rewind and watch it again. Here comes the gorilla, and there goes a player, and the curtain is changing from red to gold. So this one was created specifically for people who had seen this before to show them that they still can't see it. When you're looking for a gorilla, you often miss other unexpected events. When you're looking for the gorilla, you often miss other unexpected events. The reason this is so is due to how our perceptual systems work. We imagine that we see the world around us as a set of objects and that we decide how to react to them, but that isn't how it works. We do not see and record the things around us. Instead, we classify the things we see using a motivation framework. The first and most important filter we place on our world is our motivation. We all know the lack of, that a lack of motivation can keep us from getting out of bed in the morning, but the problem goes much deeper than that. Our motivation drives our actions, and those actions and motivations classify everything we see. If you walk into this room and you want to sit down, a pew becomes a tool, and your progress towards it gives your brain a tiny shot of dopamine to reinforce your successful progress towards your goal. On the other hand, if you want to talk to someone on the other side of the sanctuary, all of a sudden, those same pews are now obstacles, and they generate negative emotion as an obstacle to your motivation. In both cases, you could care less about the color of the wallpaper or whether or not the candles are lit. These facts still exist, and your eyes could perceive them, but your motivation frame makes them irrelevant, and you do not even perceive them. I assume that most of you drove here today. Can you name the color of the last car to pass you on the way here? Probably not, because barring some bad road behavior, it was an irrelevant fact. The world is filled with an infinite amount of information and objects, and our brain does a wonderful job making the vast majority of them invisible to us. This keep, help keeps us sane, but it also speaks to how we move through our world as Christians. Our brain classifies a small number of things as tools to help us, a slightly larger set of things as obstacles to be overcome, and an infinite number of facts as irrelevant and invisible. And how any object gets categorized depends solely on our motivation. No one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. This statement speaks to our motivation. The most common classification of things is irrelevant, and I'll admit this applies quite often for me to the kingdom of God. I don't see it because at the moment it is neither a tool nor an obstacle. It is forgotten in the busy routine of life. A great example of this is showcased in Luke chapter 10. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister, sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's seat listening to what he said. He said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparation that had to be made. 
she came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Too much of the time, I am Martha. My wife wishes that this meant I was doing more of the housework. But instead is my job, or my kids, or my hobbies, or if all else fails, the chores. Life does need to be managed, but sometimes I get a glimpse that a few things are needed, indeed only one, and I am missing it. In my worst times, the kingdom is an obstacle, but since my life is somewhat boring, let's instead return to our narrator as he waits at the bus stop in hell. We don't know his name because C.S. Lewis never gives him one. He boards the bus along with a small number of other people, and the bus proceeds to fly over the gray town. The narrator then talks with some of the other people on the bus, some of whom remember dying in various ways. One man, Ike, tells the narrator that the gray town is always getting bigger as more and more people enter it. Some of these people get closer to the bus stop so that one day they can drive away. Others drift farther from the bus stop. Indeed, some people in the gray town must be millions of miles from the bus stop by now. The bus lands on a huge cliff, and the narrator and, other pa and the other passengers get out. They find that they've landed by a beautiful river, surrounded by grass and trees. However, the narrator quickly discovers that everything in this place is motionless. Even the blades of grass are rigid and hard. This makes walking around very painful. The narrator also realizes that he no longer has a solid body. He and his peers are ghosts. The narrator slowly realizes that he is in the afterlife. As he realizes this, he sees a group of spirits approaching the ghosts. The spirits are bright and have solid bodies. They've come to try to convince the ghosts to come with them towards the beautiful, majestic mountains in the distance. But most of the ghosts refuse to do so. First, we observe a big ghost. He believes strongly in his own personal decency and has come up here from the gray town to claim what is his by right. He is met by Len and is shocked because Len is the man who murdered their friend Jack. Yet here he stands as one of the bright spirits come down from the high mountains. The injustice of it. He knows he was a better man than Len and only wants what is rightfully his, namely a spot on the ladder above the likes of Len. I'm only telling you the sort of chap I am. I only want my rights. I'm not asking for anybody's bleeding charity. To which Len responds, then do, at once, ask for the bleeding charity. Everything is here for the asking and nothing can be bought. You weren't a decent man, and you didn't do your best. We none of us were, and none of us did. Lord bless you, it doesn't matter. But the big ghost won't have it. Tell them I'm not coming, see? I'd rather be damned than go along with you. I came here to get my rights, not go sniveling along on charity tied to your apron strings. If they're too fine to have me without you, I'll go home. Later, our narrator comes upon two painters, one a ghost and the other a spirit sent to bring him to the high mountains. The ghost is looking at the beauty around him and wishing he could paint it. The spirit explains that painting at the moment is unimportant. When you painted on earth, at least in your early days, it was because you caught glimpses of heaven in the earthly landscape. The success of your painting was that it enabled others to see those glimpses too. But here you are having the thing itself. It is from here that the messages came. There is no good telling us about this country, for we see it already. In fact, we see it better than you do then there's never going to be any point in painting here? 
I don't say that. When you've grown into a person, it's all right. We all had to do it. There'll be some things to which you'll see better than anyone else. One of the things you'll want to do is to be able to tell us about them, but not yet. At present, your business is to see. Come and see. He is endless. There was a little pause. That, that would be delightful, said the ghost presently in a rather dull voice. Come then, said the spirit, offering his arm. How soon do you think I could begin painting, it asked. The spirit broke into laughter. Don't you see? You'll never paint at all if that's what you're thinking about, he said. What do you mean? Why, if you're interested in the country only for the sake of painting it, you'll never learn to see the country. But that's just how real artist is interested in the country. No, you're forgetting, said the spirit. That was not how you began. Light itself was your first love. You loved paint only as a mean of t means of telling about light. Oh, that was ages ago, said the ghost. One grows out of that. Of course, you haven't seen my later works. One becomes more and more interested in paint for its own sake. One does indeed. I also have had to recover from that. It was all a snare. Ink and cat gut and paint were necessary down there, but they are also dangerous stimulants. Every poet and musician and artist but for grace is drawn away from the love of the thing he tells to the love of the telling it. Until down in deep hell, they cannot be interested in God but at all, but only in what they say about him. The narrator travels on, seeing a wife who must be allowed control over her husband in heaven, a mother whose only concern was and is the tragic death of her son, an obsession that damaged her earthly life and has turned her from God, a ghost defined by her shame, another defined by her beauty, even a bishop unwilling to give up his mistaken theologies when confronted with the reality of God, who ends up leaving to give a reading of his newest paper to the theological society he set up in the Greytown. Our narrator is not allowed to see all how all of these confrontations turn out. He does not witness a single conversion, but is only provided the opportunity to understand the choice we are all given. The author points out that we are the architects of our own suffering when we begin to see the kingdom as an obstacle to what we truly desire. He states that hell is a state of mind and every state of mind left to itself. Every shutting up of the creature within the dungeons of its own mind is, in the end, hell. But heaven is not a state of mind. Heaven is reality itself. All that is fully real is heavenly. He goes on to say there are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says, in the end, thy will be done. All that are in hell, choose it. Without the self-choice, there could be no hell. No soul that seriously and constantly desires joy will ever miss it. Those who seek, find. To those who knock, it is opened. So how do we seek, and where do we knock? God assures us that the correct way to see him and his kingdom is not as irrelevant or as an obstacle, but in our third category, with God and his kingdom as the best of tools regardless of our motivation. He has been assuring us of this for millennia. From Psalm 121, I will lift up my eyes to the hills. From whence comes my help? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. The Lord shall preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. One of my favorite things about the Bible 
is that no matter what negative thing you believe disqualifies you personally from serving the kingdom of God, the Bible is always there to one-up you with someone worse. Thinking you're getting a little old to change your ways? Well, consider this from Genesis 12. The Lord said to Abraham, go from your country, your people and your father's household, to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. This guy lived in his parents' basement until he was 75 and still became the father of nations and the servant of God. It is never too late to heed the call and see the kingdom. And the call continues to this day from Doctrine and Covenants 162. Do not be discouraged. You have not been promised an easy path, but you have been assured that the spirit that calls you will also accompany you. That spirit is even now touching alive the souls of those who feel the passion of discipleship burning deeply within. Many others will respond if you are persistent in your witness and diligent in your mission to the world. And my personal favorite, Doctor and Covenant, Doctor and Covenants 155. The call is for workers in the cause of Zion. Therefore, neither tarry nor doubt that I am. I know your perplexities, and I'm aware of your uncertainties. But if you will call upon my name, my spirit will go before you into whatsoever place you are sent, and I will continue to bless you as you have need. God and his kingdom are there for us. They are neither irrelevant to our daily lives or an obstacle to our eternal happiness. Instead, they are the most useful of tools and the best of motivations. May you be motivated enough to see them.
Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> Our scripture today tells us that God so loved the world. Here is a map um, that shows the whole world. Does anybody know where we are on that map? Um, Ellie, would you go point for us, please? There we are. All right. Yes. Lovely. Nice job. Okay. Um, what does God love about our part of the world? What does God love about where we live? Because um, we all try to make the world a better place so it looks more beautiful. What else does he love about Olathe, Kansas? We had a red snow day. <laughs> he loves the Chiefs. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, okay. He loves us. He loves us. He loves the world. Loves the world, yeah. All right. So um, we're going to play a game called Pin the Heart on the Map. And um, I have a couple helpers that I asked. Preston, Ty. Um, Preston, we'll have you go first. Ellie, will you hold this? They don't know what this game is, so they really, I just asked if they'd be my helpers, and they said yes, so we'll see. If they're really happy, they get to be the helpers. All right, Preston. like he put the heart on, we'll say Des Moines, Iowa. What do we know about Des Moines, Iowa? Anybody? Graceland is in Des Moines. Graceland is close, yes. Some of my cousins live there. You have family there? Anybody else? Any big people know anything about Des Moines that God might love about Des Moines? Oh, Iowa State Fair. And we have friends there. We have friends there. So even though we don't live there, we can still say a prayer for Des Moines, Iowa, because we have friends, we have family, there's people who go there to come together and celebrate. Um, so uh, I have another friend, Ty. Your turn. Yeah. <laughs> 
So Ty put the heart on. And I got this map from the uh, upstairs, so I really don't know how current it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's from the senior high room. So it is on, um, oh my goodness, we are in Kur Kazakhstan. That's Kazakhstan, thank you, sorry. Uh, we don't use that word in kindergarten very often. <laughs> do we know any, do you think God loves the people in Kazakhstan? Oh my goodness, Kazakhstan. Do you think he loves the people there? Yeah. Do you think he loves all the plants and animals there? Do we know anything? I mean, I don't even know how to say the name. But do we know anything about Kazakhstan? <laughs> Ellie? have people there. There's people there, and God loves all people, okay? Tate? There's plants there. There's going to be plants there. Anybody else know? Okay, I'm going to have you say that again. And if you want to say the name of the country again. It's Kazakhstan, and the space cosmodrome for the USS, former USSR is in Kazakhstan. That's where they shoot their rockets off. So do you think we should pray for the people that live there? Yeah, even though we don't live there and we not, might not know a lot about the people that live there, we can still pray for them. So we're going to take a moment to be quiet and hold our body stills. And we're going to put our hands on our heart, and we're going to say a prayer for the people of Kazakhstan. <laughs> it's hard to whisper in a mic and pretend like you don't know how to say something. All right. So if you'll close your eyes with me. Lord, please bless all the people of Kazakhstan and all the people in the world, all the plants and animals that live there. Help us to remember that you love all the people of the world and all of your creation Help us to be open to feeling your love and sharing it with others. Amen. So when you go home, you might try and find a globe or a map. Close your eyes and point to a place. Learn about those people and the animals there and pray for them. And you can learn more about them by having your parents help you go online or maybe going to the library. So you can do this each week to learn about a new place, new people, new animals and plants and then keep all of them in your heart and pray for them every day. Can you do that? Say, yes, I'm going to do it. All right. Thank you. All are called. One of our enduring principles states that God graciously gives people gifts and opportunities to do good and to share in God's purposes. How often do we think, I can't do that, or I will help with that later, or someone else will do or give my offering is not important. 
we are not only, we are not fully receiving all of life as a gift from God when we diminish our gifts and our opportunities. During the disciples' generous response, we focus on aligning our purposes with God's purposes, aligning our heart with God's heart. As you share your mission ties or if you give regularly through e-tithing, use this time just now to express gratitude for God's many gifts in your life and to reflect on how we respond faithfully to those blessings. When we understand God's love and grace are given freely to us, we respond out of gratitude and are, libera and are liberated to share freely in return. Will those accepting the offering please come down? Dear God, forgive us for believing your gifts to us are intended only for us. Forgive us for collecting your gifts and ignoring your opportunities to share. Create in us a greater understanding of your peaceable kingdom. Show us how to challenge the world we live in by living a life of discipleship. You call each one of us. You call me. Thank you for your love and grace. Thank you for this opportunity to share today and every opportunity throughout the week. Help us to be doers of your love and blessing. Amen.
pray with me? Lord, thank you for revealing your unconditional love to us through your word. Thank you for making it possible for us to share this love today. As we go about the rest of the day and week, open our eyes that we may see wondrous things in the word that the speaker has shared. Let those who come here with broken hearts leave this place when they are revived and restored. Help us to continue living and walking according to your word and not by what we see. Father, help us to turn our eyes away from worthless things so that we can focus on our love or our Lord and Savior Jesus. We pray this and trust and believing in you. Amen.